Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. So far in his career, Ben Schwartz has seen two big breaks. The first one came in 2010. He got a little part on the show Parks and Recreation. He played Jean-Ralphio Saperstein, an underachieving club kid who personified both confidence and chaos. Within a couple years, Ben's character went from a beloved guest star to a genuine sensation. He is in GIFs. He is in clips. Our production fellow Jordan Cowling has told us he is a TikTok meme. Then a couple of years ago, Ben got another big break. This time, it was an opportunity to play one of the most iconic fictional characters of all time, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, that's right. Ben is starring alongside Jim Carrey and James Marsden in Sonic the Hedgehog, the new blockbuster that just hit theaters. It's truly the role of a lifetime. Or perhaps the spin dash of a lifetime. In the film, Sonic comes to Earth. It's hard for me to say this next paragraph because of shame at that last sentence I said. In the film, Sonic comes to Earth from another planet, arriving in a town in rural Montana where James Marsden's character Tom Wachowski lives. Sonic shows up at Tom's home and startles him so badly that Tom accidentally shoots Sonic with a tranquilizer dart. Eventually, the two of them team up, and Tom agrees to help Sonic find his rings and save the world from evil scientist Dr. Robotnik, played by Jim Carrey. Let's hear a clip from Sonic the Hedgehog. In this scene, Sonic and Tom are road tripping to San Francisco. They have a fight, and Sonic storms out of the car and is gone for a few seconds when he realizes he has no idea where he's going. So, as I crashed into the cold, dark water of the Pacific, I realized a few things. A, I have no idea where I'm going. B, saltwater stings. C, I shouldn't even be on this planet right now, but I am. Why? Because you shot me. I know. You shot me! All right, I heard you the first time. You don't have to pile it on, good grief. I'm wet, I'm cold, there's a fish on my head, and clearly I'm not gonna be able to do this on my own. All right, get in the truck. Really? You're gonna help me? I guess it is a little bit my fault that all this is happening to you. Not a little bit, entirely. It is entirely your okay, fault. It's entirely my fault. Are you coming? Yes. Road trip! Whoop whoop! Ben Schwartz, welcome to Bullseye. It's nice to have you on the show. Thank you. Lovely to lovely to hear your NPR voice and lovely to see you, Jesse. How are you? Uh, I'm well, thank you. Good. Can I tell you an Easter egg? Because you picked a clip that has an Easter egg in it, if you don't mind. So this is that clip, uh, what you just did, that movie is with Jim Carrey, plays Dr. Robotnik. I play Sonic the Hedgehog. And I stole the cadence. Uh, We seem similar ages. I may be a little bit older than you. Um, But uh, Dumb and Dumber, there's a line where he goes, he's listing off things, then he goes, 
our pet's heads are falling off. And I copied the cadence of there's a fish on my head to match exactly Jim Carrey. Not exactly, but Jim Carrey's cadence in that. Can I ask you a question? Please, Jesse. And this is what it's about. We're here to ask each other questions. I'll ask you one next. Ben, did you audition for the part of Sonic the Hedgehog? Did you like have a meeting on it first where they ask you what your take on Sonic the Hedgehog is? See, now the clock is ticking. I'm I'm excited because I feel like we're going to get the hard-hitting questions on this, right? Yeah. We're bullseyeing right now. We're doing it. Uh, actually, it's a cool process. I had a meeting with Tim Miller, who directed a movie called Deadpool. He and he has a production company called Blur. And beyond production, it does a lot of animation, a lot of CG and stuff like that. I had a meeting about a different thing with him. And at the end of it, there were all these Sonic toys on something. And I was like, oh, my God, I love Sonic the Hedgehog. And he's like, oh, we're you know we're going to try to develop it. The next step is we're going to make a test, a five-minute test video, Like, which is funny because... When people talk to me at the beginning, whenever I want to get anything crossed, like, why don't you just shoot it? Shoot it so you can show people what the show is. They did that, but for Sonic. And uh, he's like, Jeff Fowler here, who's a gentleman that worked at Blur right next to Tim. His desk was next to him. He goes, is going to direct it. Um, and we're actually looking for the voice of just someone to play it in the test. And I was like, I would, if you need me, I'm here. I Whatever. And they said, okay, just, just so you know, if you do it, doesn't mean you're going to be in the movie. You're just doing us a favor. And I said, I will gladly do that favor. I love this so much. Did it. They sold it to Paramount. Paramount went through its process of kind of trying to find who they wanted to play Sonic, and they kept coming back to the test because people loved the way I played it in the test, and I just lucked out, and they're like, nobody's, let's just give it to Ben. He's Everybody loves the way he played it there. Let's just give it to him. So I got to be Sonic from that. I feel like people have a much more profound emotional relationship with Sonic the Hedgehog mm-hmm. than any other comparable video game character, especially in the iconic Sonic the Hedgehog games. Sure. Mostly what he does is run and jump. He runs, he jumps. If you he wait too long, he taps dash. his foot. Yeah. Spin dash in that second one. Tails came along. He, he wags his finger. He, he does got it. added to Jess. He's he does attitude. a thing where he's kind of about to fall off of a thing. Yes. He goes, whoa. We put that in the movie, too. There's a scene where we put that in the movie. We put a couple of Easter eggs in the movie. But it's a re- it's a relatively simple character. And I think, uh, and while it has been complicated. Simple, Jesse, and, how dare you. Uh, an archetypal character. Thank you. And while it has been complicated in the many games since those original mm-hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog games, I think still, in many ways, it's primarily a you know a platforming video game character, which is sort of a tabula rasa. But people have really profound relationships with Sonic the Hedgehog. I, th- I, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. One, I think you could probably find that relationship with, I say Mario, but everybody says Mario. I, well, how do you say it? Say, I say Mario. I'd say Super Mario. I'd probably say Super Mario Brothers, and that's why I get made fun of when I, live, I grew up in Riverdale. Uh, but when Sonic came out, it's like, okay, what is Genesis going to do to combat Nintendo's Mario or Mario? And and the way that they said it is like, because it's a side-scroller, it's a side-scroller, and the cool thing is he can go fast, and the faster you go, the boards become more, you know, manic and crazy and filled with, oh, uh, but... Um, they wanted to give him attitude because they felt like a lot of the characters in Nintendo didn't have that. So they gave him that like sass that if you wait too long, he gets upset or he shakes his finger at the topper. You know, he's just like a cool, it's like a cool character. So I think a lot of kids, like, especially because there's like a war between, what do you like, Nintendo or uh, Sega? And uh, that was their mascot. That was it for them. That was their Mario or Mario. And so um, I think people pledged allegiance to that and just really connected with it. What choices do you think you were making about who Sonic the Hedgehog is and what his deal is. So uh, Besides just that he's fast. And he is fast. And you're a fast talker. I talk very fast, yeah. That doesn't hurt at all, right? I'm going to try to slow my cadence down for this. I wish I had a better NPR voice. I feel like I sound like 
Jewish no matter what I do. I sound like Mel Brooks no matter what I do. Um, so uh, what I said when I, when I played the games was it's he's really quick, he's really fast, and they had that attitude. And the whole idea of when they're developing this game was that he had those things, and that's what kind of made him stand out. I was like, okay, I'm gonna remember that. And then when I read the script, it was basically like he was like a little kid. To me, it read like he was this little kid that always wanted to do these things in his life, but always had to be in a cave and hide away. And finally, for the first time, he's allowed to get out and do all these things. So I said, if I can bring the excitement and the passion of like a little kid wanting to do all this stuff, and in my voice, like always make it like oh, like even through the action then I think that people will connect with the idea of what that is. And when they're looking at the hedgehog, they'll kind of still feel like they're looking at that little kid. And then the emotional stuff can hit a little harder. And then the jokes can hit a little harder. And I think you can connect with the character a little bit more. And I was like, if I can do that, I think I could uh, succeed in kind of bringing like, you know, the my version of what the voice could be. What was it like for you when uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer was released mm. and it became a thing on the internet that people were creeped out by Sonic the Hedgehog? Should you explain to people on NPR what the internet is or no? <laughs> no, that's okay. It's, they know it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so th- most of my job is done after the movie's done. So they shot for many days. Jim Carrey, James Marsden, Tika Sumter, Jeff Fowler directed it. And then they come over and I started doing, a, uh, started doing VO before I even see video. And then I basically do my scenes opposite the video that they're going to use. like Because the, they're animating your character into a live action That's movie. exactly correct. The whole film is live action. Jim Carrey, everybody's live action, and I'm CG. And when I'm looking at it, it's just drawings. It's just sketches, and it's just like uh, post. It's like previs. It's like very you know, rudimentary type things. I don't know what he's going to look like. And so the biggest thing was also when we're doing this, we were all like, I hope anybody cares about Sonic at all. So before the trailer even comes out, we're like, I hope, because I care about it deeply, and Jeff and all these people really care, we had no idea if anybody would even care when we released the trailer. So the biggest thing we got out of that was that there is a passionate fan base. And it wasn't even, it, it transcended that fan base because it got over 100 million views in, a, in such a short amount of time that everybody was like, whoa, 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 this is, this is first of all, it's amazing because so many people are watching, but also people care and have real points of view about why, like if they didn't like it or if the things they liked, the things they didn't like, they they had exact things. And then I, I just because I'm a nerd, I was watching like videos of people watching the trailer, like, you know, and it was intense. And those had hundreds of thousands of views. And so uh, the biggest thing we got out of that was that there's a lot of people that really care, really care. And so I think they saw that they needed to make some adjustments. Um, and I'm very happy they did because I love the way he looks now. I think the way he looks now is the way in my head when I was voicing him, that's what I thought was going to happen. So it worked out. Yeah, I thought it was really cool looking. What are your thoughts? I thought as it looked someone, great. As someone who actually breaks stuff like this down. I thought it looked great. All right, and, and I was worried, you know, I, I was worried, you know, who knows what happens if they have to rush it or they don't have enough money to do it yeah. fully realized in a different way when they already spent a bunch of money doing it the first way and so on and so forth. Well, that's the fear. What happens if we went through all that and it comes out and it looks like even more of something you didn't want? Especially because then you put power into the fans' hands, and if we did it, not power into the fans' hands, but we show that we're listening. And if we did it, and then the fans are like, "This is terrible," like, "Oh, come on, guy," you know what I mean? But they were. I will say the fans have been very supportive of me at the beginning because there have been a lot of voices that have played Sonic, and I was like, oh, "I hope people. I really wanted to make the fans proud um, because I'm I'm a nerd for this stuff, so I want to I want to you know make the legacy live on." And so. They really enjoyed my voice, even in the first one, and then they really enjoyed the design in the second one, and now people are really paying attention, which is kind of amazing. I, I, and I think the movie came out great, because there's 
I, I think it's funny, and I think the action works, and I think all the emotion works. It's pretty uh, remarkable for that type of movie. I'm pretty excited. I want to talk to you a little bit about Parks and Recreation. Sure. You had a recurring role on mm-hmm. that show, and I think it's it's fair to describe it as a as a career making recurring role, which okay. is you know for a, for a character that showed up a few times a year mm-hmm. is about as memorable as it gets. That's very kind of you. Uh, his name was Jean Ralphio, mm-hmm. and he was in the small town of of Pawnee. A, an aspiring mover and shaker. <laughs> I would say definitely an aspiring mover and shaker. Um, More shaking than moving, but definitely. So his best friend is is named Tom, played by Aziz Ansari. And mm-hmm. we're about to hear a clip where Tom has brought him in to interview for a job as, as an assistant to Ron Swanson. This would be the first ever scene I did. And I would before we listen to this, think about this. I came into this knowing that this was the only scene I'm doing. I did not know there was more beyond this scene. And so I did the scene. And so right before we recorded it for real, we did a rehearsal of it. I did the rehearsal once. Mike Scher came down, who's the creator of the show. And he came down. I did it once. I was very nervous. I did this exact scene you're going to hear, which is very small. And then right after I did the first rehearsal, he came up to me and he goes, we're going to be bringing you back. And it was like, it was such an incredible moment for me. And then when he left, it gave me confidence also to play a little bit more because I was like, oh, I'm like, he already thinks I did okay. So I didn't, you know, because the first time doing a character, there's a lot of pressure. So Ron is like a a hyper square curmudgeon. Yes, uh, anti-government. Anti-government meat lover. And uh, your character, Jean Ralphio, sweeps in with all the confidence in the world that Could he is. Could not be more of an opposite. And best. if you watch the character arc of this char- my character, I slowly turn into a cartoon version of myself. So like this is when I was more grounded and then I started to do really crazy stuff. Let's take a listen. So, Jean Ralphio. You got him right here. Leave a message after the beat. Why do I want you as my assistant? For starters, <laughs> access to the Illus Club. And that's just for starters. I will work for you. I'll be on you 24-7. I'll be like your family. I'm here when you get here in the morning. Sure enough, I'll be there tucking you into bed at night. Don't worry, it's not gay. Do we have questions? I think our only question is, uh, when can you start? Right now, let's do it. Thank you for coming in. We will talk. Cool. I feel good about this. And you know, you can hit me up on Facebook anytime, day or night. You know that, right? Take care, buddy. Boom. So what do you think of your new assistant? I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. He's great. That was it. That was my whole, that was all that I thought I was going to be. Did you have a feeling about, because Jean Raffio. I love how French you make him sound. Jean Raffio (laughs) sounds. He is, uh, I mean, like, basically morally abhorrent. He's probably a bad person. He, you know what? I always played him, and which Amy had a great response to. I always played him that he always thought he was nailing it. He never thought he did anything wrong. He always thought he was killing it anybody watching his life would think that every step along the way he's nailed it out of the park and then uh, amy said even when he like does something bad it's like when a puppy pees on the carpet and you're like oh john ralphio <laughs> like you can never get mad at him because he's never trying to be mean or be mean to anybody he's just trying to he thinks he's doing everything perfectly yeah like ultimately he's more foolish than he is 100 percent. yeah it, well, let's, i want to hear some more john ralphio i'm going to be honest with you oh great uh, so it, this scene is it's just gonna um, be scenes from parks. Yeah, exactly. This scene is a called one, from an episode called "One Last Ride." It's the last work day for all the em- employees. I have no idea Pawnee. what this is gonna be. 
And Amy Poehler and uh, whose character's name is Leslie Nope and Aziz Ansari as Tom are are walking the halls on one last mission when they cross paths with well, Jean. This Ralph is the Fio. end of the whole show, right? Or yeah. this is yeah, this is there the end of the whole thing. And uh, Jean Ralphio, by the way, has been in a wheelchair due to an injury that he is faking. <laughs> is that in this scene? <laughs> You're leaving for truth. I am gonna miss you so much. What's going on? You're not injured? Uh, yeah, I'm injured. I got a terminal case of a get me to the front of the line at Six Flags. Shout boosh. It's over to Wonderland. <laughs> I'm going to be so sad to see you go. Will you do me one final kindness? Will you pretend to be my wife for an insurance scam, but then we fall in love for real? Also, can I have a pair of your gym socks? And don't worry, it's not for anything weird. It's just a fetish I have. <laughs> what a way to go <laughs> what was it like to uh live as a human man while <laughs> occupying the imaginations of millions of americans uh, as john ralphio it was very uh you're you're very right to say that was the first thing that kind of broke me i'd, I'd done a lot of stuff at ucb and had done a little stuff elsewhere but at the beginning, it wasn't as big of a deal, but then, because remember, Parks didn't have huge ratings. Everybody's watching The Office, and some people watch Parks afterwards, but every year at the end of the year, it was a maybe if we were going to get picked up again. Every year. And it wasn't until like the last couple seasons where people really were paying attention. And then Netflix, man, this this there's a whole new version of people, of also kids. Like I'll have young kids come up to me. But at the at the height of when it was out, I was younger and I'd be performing a lot and you go to bars after shows and a lot of people would come up to me in bars and sing in my ear, like re- like put their hands uh, in the show when I would sing as the character. I put my hand on my face and sing. And they would do the same thing with me, like singing the worst or technically I'm homeless. And uh, it's very cute. And uh, they always thought they were the first people ever to do it. <laughs> um, but... And the drunker people were, the more I would get sung sung at. How did you get yourself into Star Wars? Which one? Uh, well, you're you are a stormtrooper at one point, and yeah. you also made noises that sure became did. the sounds that uh, the robot BB sure did the the droid BB-8. Thank makes. you. Uh, I want to be specific with my language. Thank here. you, please. Yeah. Did you just like show up at Star Wars, knock on the door? Yeah, I Googled Star Wars, Star <laughs> Wars where film, <laughs> and just walked in. It was crazy. You know how easy it is that anybody could do that. Anybody could have done it. Um, I, I uh, They were doing episode seven. I had done a TV show with J.J. Abrams called Undercovers, and then that went really well. And then I started, uh, him and I wrote some stuff together, and then we wrote this animated thing together that we haven't released yet. But we did like all these little things together, and we become friends and stuff like that. And then he got that seven job and he went to do seven, uh, episode seven of Force Awakens. That was when they brought back the whole franchise. And then Harrison Ford hurt himself. Do you remember when Harrison Ford, something went on his foot and he broke his, I believe it was broke his foot or something like that? Yeah, I think that's right. And, or his ankle. Uh, yeah, something. And then JJ called me and he's like, hey, I'm coming back to LA because they had to take some time off. Um, so he said, there's a new droid uh, that I'm making for this. And I said, is it like, is it like an R2-D2? Is it like that type of, and he goes, no, we're going to make it kind of, it's going to be different. I'll show you. I just drew a picture of him. I'll show it to you when I, <laughs> I have a picture of like how I envision him. I'll show it to you when I come to LA. But I want this droid, instead of just having beeps and boops, which, you know, of course it'll have that, but I want you to feel the, I want you to feel like comedic moments from him. I want you to feel when he's hurt. I want you to feel when he's happy. Would you want to do the voice for him? And I, I was like, I remember my heart was going crazy. I don't think I've ever told a story before. And I was like, oh my God, yes, of course. He's like, I got to come home for a couple weeks for 
this thing, the injury thing. So um, I'll show you then. And how about we record some lines for the droid? And that's how that's how it started. So it really started with. Um, I went into Bad Robot afterwards. He showed me f- actual footage. So I was one of the first people ever to see footage. I remember also he was writing, uh, he was rewriting maybe seven at the time. And he was in like a, a mall next to his office. And he goes, oh, do you want to see the scenes? I go, here? At the mall? You're going to show me? Because he had it on an iPad that only, the only thing that iPad could do is probably show like, uh, not iPad. It was like, you know, one of those things. And I was like, are you serious? And he goes, nobody cares. Nobody's going to look. And he was totally right. But people would have lost their minds if they looked. He was showing me scenes from Star Wars before, like, they had even finished filming it. And we were sitting down in, like, the middle of a mall and people were walking by and nobody knew it was him. And I was, I could not believe I was so lucky that I was getting to see scenes for everybody else. And he goes, what do you think? Let's think of some dialogue that BBA could say. We went back to the office. We recorded actual words, and he said, we'll give it to ILM, uh, Industrial Light Magic, and they will turn the words into beeps and boops. But I want you to, you know, when you're this, you're happy or sad, or and all those things, because I want, I want them to feel that and turn into that. So we gave him that stuff, and when we got it back, you could kind of feel that it was a human saying words turning into that. So then we tried a synthesizer, and... Uh, we tried a synthesizer, and I did that, and all these other things. We're getting really close, and then I booked a movie, and I had to go. I left, and then he got Bill Hader, who's a genius of all stuff, to come in. Bill did the synthesizer a little bit more, and then I think JJ literally found like an app. I, I honestly think he just found an app, and that's how he did it. But um, the two things that happened was they built a library of kind of like our stuff. But I think JJ figured out how to like do it. But the biggest thing I heard from the editors was that they used my lines of dialogue to help edit the film together because now they know what. BB-8 would be saying. They have no idea before. And so I would improvise lines, JJ would write lines, we go back and forth. And they use that to cut the movie. So there's like versions of the film that have me talking like, you know, like this. And uh, it was huge. And then, so that was one. The other one was, I was literally in his office writing. And he goes, you want to be a stormtrooper? I go, huh? (laughs) You want to be a stormtrooper? I go, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Yes, of course I do. He goes, okay, put this on. You're an extra in this next scene. So... I have this incredible connection to Star Wars, even though you don't see my face ever, that has been, I feel so lucky because my name's in the credits and any t- like I, the first time I saw it in the credits, I almost cried. It's it's like so emotional because the crawl is the same crawl you've seen since you've been a kid. Uh, so it's, it's, it was very crazy. That is, that is the most, I'm sorry that I'm, I rambled too much. I apologize, Jesse, but that was that whole Star Wars thing. My interview with Ben Schwartz wraps up in a minute. After a quick break, tone shift, I'll ask Ben a very funny guy what he's most afraid of, and he has to give me a sincere answer. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Listen to Planet Money for all kinds of weird and interesting stories that just happen to teach you a bit about money and the economy and how the world works. Planet Money from NPR. Subscribe now. Hey, you've reached Dr. Game Show. Leave your message after the beep. Hi, this is Sarah, and I'd like to tell you about Dr. Game Show. Dr. Game Show is a band of geniuses or nerds or brilliant artists or kids or some combination of all of those who get together to make a show like no other that's family-friendly. It's an interactive call-in game show podcast. When I found Dr. Game Show, I found joy. I told my friends and family that if they weren't listening, they were wasting joy. I sent them the episodes that made me laugh until I cried, played it for them in the car. They laughed, too, laughed their butts off, but they still don't listen on their own, so they're wasting joy. And I keep looking for someone to understand me. Maybe it's you. Give Dr. Game Show a listen and find joy. Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday. 
Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Ben Schwartz. He played Jean Ralphio on the TV show Parks and Recreation. You might have also heard his voice on BoJack Horseman, on Animals, or as Sonic, the hero animal in the new movie Sonic the Hedgehog. You play the character Sonic the Hedgehog in the movie Sonic the Hedgehog. Thank you. Um, you're Thank welcome. you very much. It's a popular character with a really passionate fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been developed over decades and alongside the the broadening Sonic the Hedgehog mythos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that happens a lot in fan culture is people take works that they really care about and apply them to parts of their own lives through the creation of sort of parallel art. Okay. Um, Do you have such art to show me? So I have some art to show you. And Do you really? Because, yeah, and because it's a radio show, I, I will, ha- like, I'll just give you some of the art that's been created around Sonic. Maybe you could just describe it and sure. just tell me I about how it feels. I have not seen this. And to be fair, I haven't really seen a... I haven't seen this. I mean, this oh, is... Great. I had, you know, I have some video game enthusiasts on my staff here. Great. Breaking news. Nerds work at podcasting no company. No way. I know. But they had a really good time picking out some of their favorite uh, works of Sonic okay. fan art. So here's here's one. Okay. What <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm going to explain it to you. It is Sonic the Hedgehog, but this is a beefy man. This is a beefy hedgehog. He's kind of yoked. He's yoked, a great term. Yoked, uh, big legs, big stomach, everything. And the text underneath says, you cannot run from your fears. Um, My assumption is that's a take on maybe that first poster that came out. The first poster that came out, it looked like Sonic had beefy legs. But this is just a gentleman that hits the gym. This is is Sonic this is the version of Sonic that is like doing two a days, really working on his tan and his hair. But he's smiling. You I, can also I think in this picture feel how much Sonic means to people that he is inspirational uh, in that way. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah. He's very inspirational. Uh, follow your dreams. It says you cannot run from your fears, but I would say follow your dreams. Okay. This is one of one thousand he has one thousand pictures in front of him. Here comes another one. This is so, this is a Smurf. This is a Smurf that has that's dressed like Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, so, do you think that the you know Sonic the Hedgehog has a famous sort of mane? Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Quills. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the Smurf in that picture has that. Correct. Do you when you say he's dressed as Sonic the Hedgehog? Is that like a hat? Uh, see, now this is a great question because if you and by the way, if we really want to get into it, what's underneath those Smurf hats? <sighs> Littler Smurf. You think that every Smurf has Jesse? Yeah, it's like a Jesse Russian nesting doll. Jesse, yes, sir. You're telling me that throughout, throughout, when the property was invented, all Smurfs yeah. have had tiny Smurfs underneath their hat that nobody's revealed. It's an Easter egg, Jesse. Yeah, Jesse. For years, this is Smurfs have been around for decades, probably forty years. And the whole so the biggest thing so the biggest thing about Smurfs is that they don't talk about the tiny Smurf in their head. That's what the that's what Smurfs are about. Well, have you heard of subtext? Yeah, of course. Well, that's what's happening. There. But that's beyond subtext. No, this is that's not a little secret that they have. This is a river burbling under the surface. Just just as there's water underneath our feet right now, you'd have to go pretty deep a, for where we are. At this there's moment. a river of truth underneath Smurfs, Ugh. and floating down that your river, your nose is bleeding. Smaller, your nose is bleeding while you're saying this. Smaller Smurfs. So okay, so I guess let me read. Let me. That's why the hats are so soft. Let me describe the picture again. So here it's a Smurf with a bigger Sonic hat holding a tinier Smurf. Oh, I got a question, Jesse. Yeah. Is the tinier Smurf wearing a hat? 
Is oh, this yeah, no, it seems likely to me. Yeah. So, well, so when was get, the last? No, stop, what Jesse, was the last, stop. What was the last Smurf you saw that didn't have a hat Jesse, on, Ben? So I got to ask a question. Ben, when was the last Smurf you saw that didn't have a hat on? Riddle me this. Baldy Smurf. It's not a Smurf. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. And this is going to destroy me because I think I know the answer. Okay. What's on? What's underneath that tiny Smurf's hat? Do you really want me to say the answer to this? Jesse, I need you to tell me. Ben, you look worried, and I don't know if I should say Jesse, the answer to this. Jesse, this is my last day before so, retirement. So there's a big, there's a big, sta- re- well, they're not big, but a, a, a smallish regular Smurf, right? We'll He's got a white Smurf. peaked hat. Underneath that hat, we've established. There's a smaller Smurf. Smurf. And that tinier Smurf you're saying is wearing... Also a peaked hat. I got to ask you a question, Jesse. What's underneath the hat? This is like the moment of what's in the box in, in seven. There's another Smurf There's another there, Smurf. Next picture, please. Okay. All right, this is a classic. Uh, this, is a classic <laughs> this is a classic turkey. This is a classic turkey. But this turkey has four legs holding itself up. Got a very <laughs> colorful tail. And the head is a zombie Sonic. And it has just eaten. There's blood coming out of its mouth. I mean, I don't know... Which subreddit did you find these on? And you haven't even given credit to the artist. NPR is pretty good about that stuff. No credit to the artist. So basically, it's a four-legged, colorful-backed turkey. Can I ask if this might be the NBC peacock? Oh, is it? Well, I don't know. The tail is rainbow-colored like the NBC peacock. It's true. It has a rainbow color like an NBC peacock. And Sonic is just... He is just out of it, man. His his eyes are very bloodshot. Very bloodshot eyes, and he's got blood just draining out of his mouth. Like he just he just killed, he just killed. Ugh. And the this has to be the last one. The right? body of the turkey is a pale sort of Caucasian skin color. Yeah, and you it would appears call it, to be. You a, would call it sexy, right, Jesse? It's certainly represented to be sexy. I'm asking you what you think. Of this turkey body. Are you asking if I'm aroused by it? I'm not asking if you're aroused because you, you're sitting cross-legged with two hands over your crotch. I can never tell. My question is this, Jesse. Do you think it's a sexy turkey? I mean, if it had a regular <laughs> turkey head, yes. <laughs> but I'm not into it. Uh, one last one. Last Do you think one, your right? audience is liking this part? I don't know. We'll find out in the edit, won't we? Oh, you're going to raise it? All right, this is a classic. This is a classic. All right, you know that episode episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets 3D? It was like the first time you see like uh, The Simpsons in 3D. Remember that Halloween episode? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what that looks like. This is exactly what that looks like. (laughs) So it looks like Sonic, but a swordfish Sonic in big women's heels in that exact version. He also has the look. He has the look of a, from a, Maybe a film from the 60s. Yeah, like a David old, Lynch movie. Where an old man is missing his teeth. Yeah. And he's going like, mom, 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 mom. Can you give me what the text would be below this? Wow. There's his legs have can, a real- Is there a website where someone could go to look at these? Yeah, they can look at our on our website at okay. MaximumFun.org. We'll be okay, sure so to post them. Go to MaximumFun.org because this one- This you're... one, I'm, I'm going to call this one, based on the, the shape and color of the legs, I'm going to call it Red Light District. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh... Ben, I'm really glad that I could, uh, share with you the incredible life that this character has. I mean, it's with, through art, we learn about ourselves, don't we? Yeah. I think we both learned a lot about ourselves. Yeah. Art can be a reflection of yourself. That's true. Or others. Thanks. Ben, I appreciate you taking all this time to be on Bullseye. It was oh, really great to get to talk to you. What a joy. Do you have one final question? Well, I already showed you these Sonics. I know, but I want one 
I want one classic Jesse question. What are you most afraid of? Sincerely, you can't make a answer. Um, I think the thing that I've been most afraid of throughout my life is probably death. I think that scares me the most. When I was a kid, and not, I wrote a movie about it, but hopefully I might be able to direct this year, but the thing that scared me the most, I remember when I was a kid, my mom would shut off the light and it would be totally dark and I would be so afraid that that's it. That's what happens when you die. It's that everything is there and then it's just the lights. But this, when I was a kid, I thought I could still hear I'm just there and nothing's happening. And I used to I used to get so scared that I would get emotional or I couldn't go to sleep. And that's kind of followed me through. Death has always been something that really scares me. I'm getting better with it. But like as as I get older, I, I have some friends that passed away and then people I looked up to. Gary Shandling was a big influence on me and, uh, um, and lovely and always kind to me. And when he passed away and I find myself, much like you, I work very often, I find myself really thinking about him and stuff like that when I'm doing nothing, when I'm in the shower, when my brain has to shut off and all those things will come rushing in. But death has always been something that has followed me that I'm scared of or interested in or like a curious, what do you think? Ha- so Jesse, what do you think happens when you pass away? Nothing. And it makes me feel physically sick. How do you explain to it to your children? I haven't talked to my kids about it, but I'm I'm afraid to. I actually just lost my uh, godfather. Oh, no. And... When I was a kid, when I was seven or eight, Mm -hmm. I had kind of an existential crisis. You know, I think it was substantially a a fear of death, but also just a distrust of my subjective experience. Like I just, you know, I just had a general ineffable feeling of- What was it? What happened to initiate that? What was the catalyst that made that come? Nothing. I mean, something surely had built up. No, it was just a fear of like, what if my understanding of the world is not real? Or what if this is, you know, it was very vague, but huge. But I think the vagueness is what makes it terrifying. Yeah. That, that is the biggest thing. And I think that's, you know, where religion is very helpful for people and stuff like that. It's that the big questions that we have no answers for, it's terrifying and could torment you. It, ter- it tormented you as a child. Yeah. I'm very curious. I always, always wonder how one explains it to children. Um, but de- death is a big one for me. The thing that I remember was calling my godfather who was. This is when you were an adult or back then? This is when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. When I, he, he was a general practitioner, but he had also been a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. My mother just trusted him very much, and calling him and kind of thinking that he would give me an answer. You know what I mean? Sure, of course. And he didn't because there isn't an answer. Right. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there may be an answer if you're a person of faith, and I don't, I don't think he was, and I wasn't then, and I'm not now. But if you're a person of faith, that could be an answer for you. But uh, otherwise, there isn't really an answer for that question. Yeah. And yeah. I, that's uh, the biggest reason why I wrote that movie because I love the idea that I'm writing a movie about something that no one can tell me if it's right or wrong. I love that idea. There's no fact checking on what happens when you pass away. So I can write this and who knows? You know what I mean? Well, Ben, I really appreciate the time you've taken to be on Bullseye. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Thank you, Ben. Ben Schwartz, Sonic the Hedgehog is playing literally everywhere, but you don't have to hear it from me. I heard it from my kids. I bet if you have kids, you heard it from them. We didn't get to talk about it much. Ben is also starring in another new movie, a coming-of-age dramedy called Standing Up, Falling Down, 
where he plays alongside Billy Crystal. You can see that now in select theaters. And his two-man improv act with Thomas Middleditch, another brilliantly hilarious uh, television actor who you might know from Silicon Valley, has been made into three Netflix specials, which will come to that service soon. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye produced at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where our resident bird nerd Kevin Ferguson has noticed that the winter migratory birds have arrived, including northern shovelers, ring-necked ducks, and pied-billed grebes. Pied-billed grebes, coincidentally, are the bad guys on Avenue 5. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson, the guy who made me say the phrase pied-billed grebes. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow is Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team, thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And one last thing, we have recorded a lot of interviews on Bullseye over the years. Why not check out an interview with Parks and Recreation star Nick Offerman? That's a hilarious and insightful one. Okay, that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.